Hello, 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 and welcome to the 17th episode of the Economical Rice Podcast. I'm your host, Danny, and over here, I'll be able to serve you the grains of capitalism. Now, I've just begun my full-time job in the CBD area, and one of my favorite parts of working is choosing where to go for lunch. You see, this is as the CBD area is chock full of dining options. And every day at lunch, you get to select from a wide array of cuisines, including local favorites or foreign delicacies, all served at different dining environments and at different prices. For instance, you could go to the popular restaurant Wang Dae Bak at Amoy Street if you're craving for some Korean dishes. Or if you don't feel like spending too much, Shenton House with its array of affordable, economic or mixed rice vendors is always a great option. Herein lies the beauty of the capitalist system, where competition amongst food vendors brings out innovation and increased choice, all to the benefit of consumers. However, this is not to say that the market system in food is without any flaws. And notably, during lunch with some of my friends one day, we began lamenting about the lack of affordable healthy food options. I mean, sure, if you're currently trying to lose weight, there are quite a number of vendors in the area that you could choose from, such as Grain Traders, The Salad Corner, or A Poke Theory. But compared to the more affordable hawker food options, these healthy food vendors just seem way too overpriced. Consider Grain Traders, where bowls start at $16 and a meal comes in at $18, or A Poke Theory, where a regular bowl of tuna will cost you $11.50, with the large one being $15. On the surface, therefore, eating healthy appears to be quite a costly affair. Now, if you listen to any of my previous episodes, you can probably guess by now that I don't like to leave my conclusions merely at the surface perception. And certainly, with regards to the namesake of this podcast, I'll be doing a tremendous disservice if I didn't delve into the underlying economics of food. So, in today's episode, we're going to be doing just that. From distinguishing what counts as healthy food to discerning the various factors such as marketing, rental, or operational costs that goes into its price, we hope to be able to answer if healthy foods really are worth it or if they are just too expensive. Helping me to figure out some of these issues is today's guest, Ramesh Kumar. In terms of food knowledge and expertise, I don't think I could have been luckier in finding such a qualified individual as Ramesh. Other than holding a bachelor's and master's degree in food technology from Massey University in New Zealand, Ramesh also once worked as a research officer in the area of food science and nutrition at a local higher learning institution before settling in on his current role as research and development manager at the company Pure Rich Biogems. On top of that, Ramesh is also active on social media, managing the popular Facebook page Food Myths, as well as being an administrator on the Facebook group FS Tan, otherwise known as the Facebook Society of Food, Science, Technology and Nutrition which has a dedicated community of over 56,000 members. Ramesh, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me here. All right, so let's, let's, jump, let's jump right into it. And I want to begin with a little bit of, uh, of your personal history here, just to get the listeners familiar with you as a person. So I'm curious here, I know a lot of people who love food, but you know, they don't venture much beyond being a consumer or at most being a chef. So what led you down the path of, uh, of uh, studying and researching food and nutrition as a career? Food, uh, I mean, I'm a food scientist and food technologist by training with a bit mm. of a nutrition background. Mm. So I, you know, f when I was very young, I was, uh, this, this career option is not something that everybody would take. Yeah. So um, when I was very young, my dad itself, he was a culinary chef. Mm. who specialized in Indian cuisine. Mm. So it started from home, you know. Food was something that was uh, always discussed during dinner and lunch and it's a, it's a common topic of discussion. Mm. So from there, we actually... Um, one led to, to the other. Mm -hmm. So I started to, to venture into doing a diploma and then followed by a degree mm. and then followed by a master's degree. So the area of food interests me a lot, especially how certain spices and herbs actually influence your health mm. or even how they actually, uh, certain nutrients actually have a very major impact of the diseases that we face today or right. actually the risk of diseases. Right, right. So that's the main reason why I actually um, enjoy this area of uh, food mm. very much. Yeah. I see. That's really interesting because, um, you know, for, for a lot of chefs, they, they, I'm sure they would say the same thing, influence from home, you know, their parents' dishes and cooking and stuff like that. But if your dad was a chef, then why didn't you pursue the same path with him? And why did you instead choose to go into the, you know, learning about nutrition and studying and research? So my, my dad was, uh, you know, from a, a culinary perspective was something very different you know yeah. he runs the household like a kitchen as well <laughs> so he's uh, he's very strict wait, wait, how, how so he's very strict in doing things you know everything okay. should be 
mise en place, you know, everything should be neat and, uh, and clean and okay. the perfectionism is there, you mm. know, when you, when you serve him something, everything should be like top class uh, mm. serving. So the household for several years was run, run like a restaurant. Right? <laughs> so it's not that I don't enjoy the culinary aspect, you know, he mm. influenced me a lot in thinking that uh, you know, culinary aspect of food is very, very important. Mm. But I was very fascinated about the things that he used to cook mm. and how they actually affect health actually so uh, yes that the food aspect uh, was very uh, interesting mm. but i was more keen on how actually these things you know for an example they keep saying that uh, turmeric you mm. know it's very useful for health but yeah. why is it uh, useful and how is it useful though those things uh, interested me a lot so right. slowly you know i developed the interest more to the nutrition side yeah. and the food science aspect rather than the culinary aspect of it yeah, yeah. You're, you're more in other words you're more curious rather than creative yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right so knowing as much about food as you do how differently do you approach food as a consumer i mean do you still retain some of that wonder when you eat something delicious or you know do you just pick apart this and that and you're like oh i know why this is good i know why this is bad it's a it's a very big occupation hazard you know for an example <laughs> every time i go to uh, the supermarket yeah. especially my mother yeah. my mother will get extremely irritated because she'll be <laughs> I'll, i'll spend almost five ten minutes exploring each ingredient while she finished the shopping <laughs> instantly so that is a big problem but you know but that becomes an occupation it, it's a, it's a habit you know right, right. so A, a simple thing like a drink you know my mm. mother just wanted to get a drink and i would be like looking at the ingredient list followed by the nutrition panel <laughs> followed by is this ingredient really needed in there so <laughs> you become very analytical but that doesn't mean that um you know i don't enjoy food you know every day i still eat chocolates yeah. and I, and fast food is still part of my diet you yeah. know it it's it's uh, i don't bring uh, it, it it does interfere with the purchases of food But that doesn't restrict me from enjoying the pleasures of uh, mm. eating food, especially Singapore, you know, Malaysian meat from food, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. And 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 you know, just like how maybe uh, a person who has spent a lot of time studying music, or so a person uh, a person who has spent a lot of time studying art, can really appreciate you know art and music better. You know, do you do you do you appreciate food better at a more sort of higher level? Yes, um, as you, I know, like for example, you know, as you learn more about food, there's food is just countless of numbers of food available, you know, yeah. and every day you learn something new. And yeah. uh, food, I always, always love to use this example to my students when I was teaching that mm. uh, food is very unpredictable. You know, mm. it's uh, it's not like a machine, you know, mm. or like uh, like a formula one plus one is always equals to two. Yeah. Food is very complex, and, yeah. and so it always fascinates you each time. You know, mm. you you expect something out of it but at the end you get totally something different because there's so much physics chemistry biology involved in food right, that's the very right, unique right, thing right, about right. food yeah 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 and, and and i guess that's like the side that that, that you venture into going to as a, as a nutrition as a, a nutritionist as, or as a researcher that most people don't don't generally think about when they just eat food right correct yeah, yeah. yeah. all right so To, to segue into the main topic that uh, we're going to be discussing today, I just want to talk about your um, their Facebook page of Food Myths. So for the listeners who aren't aware, could you briefly describe what you're trying to do with this Facebook page and you know why did you set about launching it in the first place? So in um, 2010, mm. so, uh, what happened was I realized that in social media was uprising. You know, yeah. There was a very big trend in Facebook, Twitter, but I realized that there was no common platform for food scientists or food technologists, nutritionists, mm. dietitians, or even culinary uh, experts to actually come together to discuss about certain things, mm. right? There were there were a lot of other groups, but they were not very scientific or rather bring all, all the experts together to exchange ideas and knowledge. Mm. So one of the main reasons that I started the, the food science uh, group mm. uh, in Facebook, which has about 56 thousand members in there mm. was to actually you know bring together many people um, I didn't expect it to grow this big you know <laughs> initially we started off with like five or six of us <laughs> and today you know I really didn't expect it to grow this big and yeah. and and we're very happy because we have actually food lawyers policy makers mm. people from different MNCs and SMEs in the group which um, you know is very important uh, to exchange knowledge and part of it is when the subsidiary food myth came uh, page came about mm. which has about 13,000 members in there and that the main reason is because one of the main inspiration is every time I meet a friend yeah. they have a 
all of them have many questions about food, especially those who have not studied about food. Right, right, right. Like, for example, can I cut an onion and keep it in my room so it can absorb virus? Now, I'll be, I, you know, things that 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 was quite shocking to me. Yeah. It's a very real thing for for people, you know. Yeah. Like how an onion is believed to absorb bacteria from from the air, right? Really? So, so this kind of myth was actually very prominent you know mm. because of the rise of social media and mm. the internet mm. so that's the main reason why you know after detox diets and alkaline water and all the various myths that's uh, out there yeah. so um again i started off the page very small and yeah. i didn't expect it to grow this big uh in singapore and yeah. throughout the world actually yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 i'm really impressed with the the your your sort of um ideals about wanting to create a community, wanting to gather about all, all, all the resources and share knowledge about food scientists. Yeah, this is certainly a very, very noble ideal. Right, so so let's begin with, uh, we're, we're going to move now into the discussing food proper, healthy food proper, and I want to begin by setting some foundations. So looking at the topic of healthy food from a broad overview, what what is it that makes healthy food healthy? I mean, is it is it some inherent quality that is common among all healthy foods, or, or does it have more to do with uh, you know the effect that the food has on the consumer? That is a very difficult question to answer. <laughs> to be very frank, because yeah. the word healthy or the word nutritious mm. has been uh, the most misused word among mm. uh, food scientists or mm. food manufacturers or even some uh, nutritionists actually, right. because there are. Um, there are, it's a very difficult terminology to actually define. How do you define healthy? What do you define as nutritious? Mm. So for an example, you know, um, but even though there are very good guidelines available, I yeah. mean, they're based on science and concrete nutrition, uh, that to follow, right? Yeah. And of course, we have, um, government bodies which come up with uh, guidelines yeah. but it's still very difficult to, to understand what does healthy really means or what <laughs> does nutritious really means right. so for an example um, uh, if I have white rice and mm. I also have brown rice mm-hmm. and if I have a low glycemic index rice mm-hmm. and I can I can comfortably say that you know the brown rice or the low glycemic index rice is mm-hmm. healthier option you know a healthier option than the white rice because definitely has more fiber mm-hmm. and it's going to influence your blood sugar level to a different extent mm. so that is a that is a one way of you know correctly char- characterizing uh, what is a he- healthy product could be mm. but having said that there are also the term is also misused quite drastically mm-hmm. like uh, there are many products with the word healthy on it so yeah. if i were to there are products uh, orange juices which says it's healthy and nutritious <laughs> and there's another uh, another brand of orange juice which has no claims on it mm-hmm. but if you compare the sugar content the one without any claims is has significantly lower in sugar <laughs> so it has become a very strong marketing tool yeah and branding tool as well mm-hmm. which is associated with costs at mm-hmm. the end you know mm-hmm. if you make more claims and you know if you call something healthy people are willing to pay more mm-hmm. and you know it's a, it's a very uh, unique not unique but rather uh, a common marketing term that is uprising yeah yeah, yeah. That, that, that's very that's very very interesting that you brought that up so i want i want to dig a little deeper into that uh, point you made about you know objectively comparing the nutritional content of different rice so we know that you know different foods can have a lot of different uh, nutritional factors you know their uh, protein content carbohydrates you know sugar and stuff like that does any one single factor outweigh the others in terms of how healthy or how how you know unhealthy it can be to a person Correct. Say, say, you know, how much fat content it has, how much sugar content it has, or how much carbs it has? Yes, so food in general, I mean, depending on the country and, of course, depending on on the local population and, of course, the health status, there are many mm. factors that people actually evaluate before deciding what is a, a suitable uh, nutritional requirement for that society, for yeah. an example. So the requirement for an American will be very different from, from a Singaporean, mm. right? So... But generally, um, we, we tend to overeat certain products. And at the same time, we, we, we tend to undereat certain products. So mm. as, a, as a result, the guidelines throughout the world has actually uh, normalized to that fiber is very important because it does have, we, we are not eating enough fiber. Mm. At the same time, fiber has a lot of health benefits as you reduce the risk of several diseases. But um, having said that, so it has become a, a, a notion that anything with fiber is actually very good or very healthy mm. right same thing you know um things with a lot of sugar is always associated as something very bad yeah so 
nutrients has been segregated as such you know but that doesn't mean that for an example people always associate fat with uh something that is very bad or unhealthy but that doesn't mean that all fat are bad you know there are fats which are actually fat is a important nutrient for us Mm -hmm. and it is needed for our development and our and our especially for our brain and things like that Mm. but you cannot um, take a particular nutrient and just condemn it and saying that it's totally unhealthy mm. as a result we should avoid it completely mm. that's why you know there's um, there's totally zero fat diet and no carb diet various diets coming up yeah. but if you ask me to list down what was considered like the, the angels and the demons uh, in a very layman term yeah. I would say that you know things like fiber and our micronutrients vitamins mm. and minerals are considered the good guys you know but of course we have on the other side the fats mm. and the sodium and the sugar which is usually a common recommendation to reduce the consumption because we overeat them yeah. compared to how much we require so those are things that we try to reduce mm. uh, or at least monitor not to overeat uh, those uh, nutrients at the same time mm-hmm. uh, with this in mind you know knowing about you know this, this you can have like the, the good nutrients and there's like a set of you know maybe not so good nutrients you know there are numerous health trend, health food trends that come along and go such as uh, some, of, some of which you mentioned earlier you know organic foods detox water cleansing juices and so on that proclaim to have amazing benefits on in, on your body right so in your experience and research, you know, how much truth is there in these claims? And, and I think, I think you already answered a little bit earlier. And can they be considered, can they be considered as healthy foods? So, um, you know, like I mentioned previously, so yeah. most, most of the nutrients, um, when we look at nutrients as a whole, there is, uh, we, we, as a, a food scientist or a nutrition, they would not regard them as something that is very good or bad or, you know, label them as something that it's, that's, totally that you should avoid you know a moderation is very important mm. and, and each essential balance is always important but then there come and and as a result uh, many health organization or dietetic associations mm. as, um, you know they give recommendations based on what is good and what would, what could be improved in the society in regards to diet mm. but then you bring upon uh, the next point which is all these very interesting trends you know we have detox diet yeah. do they actually work do we we have alkaline water we have alkaline products and yeah. they're very expensive do they actually work the cleansing juices so if you review um, um and you know they, they they brand themselves as something healthy yeah. something that's going to help you with weight loss something yeah. that is going to prevent cancer or reduce your risk of cancer but if you look into the science of it most of it is very very weak not mm. all of the trends i would say or dismiss them as a very poor in scientific evidence but you know the one the few that you have mentioned so far mm. especially detoxification uh, for an example uh, a big consumer study was actually done whereby they actually review all the different detox products that's available in the market mm. so they approached to un- from the manufacturers to understand what are you trying to detox from the body <laughs> and the manufacturers were not able to give a proper answer because <laughs> ultimately the products was not able to scientifically prove that it was actually removing any specific toxins mm. so for a detox to actually work all you need is two kidneys and a liver <laughs> that is normally functioning right and there is no food that is going to actually boost this effect right so right, right, the right. the concept of detoxification is a it's it's a heavily marketed you know it's yeah, a it's yeah, a, it's a yeah. brand on its own the yes. moment you see the word detox on something the price of the product actually increases mm. right so um i would never forget this diagram that uh, i used to show my students whereby um uh, there's two lemonade bar uh, stands, right? One stand uh, and two different kids selling them. One kid is selling it for a dollar, a lemonade, right? But mm-hmm. the other one is selling it for six dollars, mm-hmm. right? And one says lemonade for a dollar, and the other one says it's a detox cleanse, but it's the exact same lemonade yeah, yeah, juice, right? Yeah. But he's selling it for six dollars just because he added the word detox. And people will actually go buy it. And people will actually buy it. So it's becoming a marketing term. Mm. But does it have scientific merit to it or does it have any evidence to it? Mm. It's really very poor. The same mm. thing for alkaline uh, products, right? So if anything that we consume is acidified in our stomach, mm. right? And as a result, people who preach uh, alkaline diet actually believe that it it actually uh, uh, prevents cancer and many other a long list of uh, claims is actually made yeah. uh, regarding alkaline diet but yeah. what they don't understand is that biologically whatever you eat 
it's not going to affect your blood um, pH. If it does, what happens is that you need to go to the emergency immediately. <laughs> right? So yes, alkaline condition uh, will prevent cancer cells from growing in a petri dish. Right. But that is not applicable to the human body. Yeah. So again, it has become a marketing term rather mm. than like a healthy, a proper scientific product or a trend. Mm. So that is the, the, the concern that I have been seeing for part. And this is heavily preached by bloggers and people who actually sells the product. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, 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 and all of them play into the, the whole sort of a marketing or advertising of the food. And that's what, that's what blows these food trends up, right? Yes. So yeah. it, it just takes uh, one or two scientific studies to prove something, mm. which is actually very small or minor or not scientifically uh, significant yet because mm. not much review is done on that area. And bloggers or even social media uh, will take that and then they'll make it into a big trend. Yeah. And a lot of products and diets are created based on yeah. that. Yeah. And that's pretty unhealthy in that sense because it's going to be very expensive mm. at the same time it's not scientifically uh, going or, or medically valid to actually help them in any health conditions and some mm. of these trends can be very concerning because um, they can cause adverse effects as well mm. wow. I was just curious about this you mentioned that some of these uh, trends right when they've been tested scientifically the, the results have been kind of weak but do you think that there is, you know, maybe some sort of placebo effect, even if the foods are, are you know, significantly healthier or, or, or not so healthy as, as the other foods? Yeah, so placebo effect, it's it's a very, um, very true phenomenon. It's, mm. a, it's a very valid phenomenon. Yeah. But again, um, whether a placebo effect actually translates to something that would help human health yeah. is another question in itself. Mm. So that's why the way that a, a scientific study is done is very important. You know, a, when a study is done, a placebo needs to be there. Mm. At the same time, a very it needs to be randomized, it needs to be controlled. Mm. The trials must be conducted very, very carefully mm. with proper, you know, with very proper standards and gold standards available for that. So these are things that scientists will actually take into consideration. But mm. when it comes, when these get translated to the general public, uh, it's a bit difficult, you know, uh, the way the scientists speak, the, the general public may not actually understand what they are trying to say because it's yeah. all jumbled up words, yeah, you know. Exactly. So uh, when bloggers or social medias, uh, uh, individuals take this information and then change it a bit and then try to make a brand out of it, that's when, you know, things get escalated very quickly. Yeah. So the, the quality of the research is very important. Yeah, and, yeah. and the placebo effect is a very valid thing that, that will happen, right? You know, for an example, if I pay $10 to buy a detox juice and mm. I drink it, I will definitely feel good. I will <laughs> definitely have that feel that I feel cleaner. I yeah, feel, yeah. I feel healthier, yeah, you know, yeah. because psychologically it's inducing that effect. Yeah. Is the feeling invalid? I wouldn't say so because psychologically mm. it's giving you that, that form of effect. But is it going to be beneficial for you? That's another question. What are you drinking? It's going to be just uh, fruit juice, which is just a mixture of sugar with a bit of micronutrients in there. <laughs> so that is the part that is missing. And the education of this area is also lacking. Mm. So as a result, consumers are sometimes misinformed. Yeah. But the temporary feeling of... Uh, um, of um, excitement is there yeah. a, f a freshness a, a cleansing effect is also noticed for some of the products yeah know? yeah I think I think maybe you know on, on, on this episode on, on this show I, I should say I, I like to bring about you know the benefits of capitalism the wonders it can do for people but this is certainly one of those aspects I think we have to we have to realize that that in some regards they are causing harm when when misinformation gets spread around you know when new when new products get get uh, introduced into the market but but people just jump on you know the health the health food bandwagon or this bandwagon without really understanding what's in the food what's going on then it can in 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 some instances be dangerous for them in the detrimental for them in the long run so yeah very 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 good point thank you for bringing that up also i just wanted to touch on this the the importance of research i distinctly remember and not not say distinctly remember but you know Across social media, from time to time, you always see articles such as, you know, oh, researchers used to say fat is good, now fat is bad. And you keep jump, bump, jumping back and forth, back and forth. And this is where I think, you know, your emphasis on the importance and the rigor of research really, really comes in. 
because 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 the the reason why the the sort of the public opinion or or you know the the the, the general idea of uh, what what is good or bad for you keeps changing is because people don't really understand what what's going on in the research, and maybe maybe certain times a, a, a scientist comes to some minor conclusion, but they just take it and blow it up, and then you know when when another scientist comes into review and finds that it isn't the case, and then you you flip flop on it, and, and it just yeah it, it seems kind of ridiculous exactly <laughs> when, when we talk about it now. Correct. Yeah. So, like for an example, you know, uh, th- that's a very, very valid point, and that mm. is that's one of the biggest reason why the public is actually uh, misinformed, mm. or or they get confused, mm. or because for an example, uh, uh, few years ago, people would say that that margarine is, I mean, butter is good. Yeah. But now they say butter is bad. Then they say margarine is bad and butter is better. So yeah. <laughs> who, who do we believe? Is, is butter better or margarine better? So that, that's when the confusion comes in. Even mm. though the scientific consensus are quite, they agree on what the real issue is, right. but this information is not translated clearly. Yeah. Right? So it's very important that, um, that the authorities or the dietetic associations or, or the people who are involved in public health or nutrition actually uh, speak to the public directly, you know, and they put it down very clearly what is defined mm. as what does this research actually show? Is mm. it valid or not? Because mm. the agents, the news agency, as uh, they have the tendency of taking a, a particular study and making it a big issue. Like, for mm. example, beer mm. prevents cancer. And it's a very shocking thing, but it could be a small study that was done in animals, yeah. but and, but they come to a conclusion that actually it prevents cancer. Exactly. So it's it's a bit scary, yeah. but that is something that we should avoid, you know. Mm. And people people come to the conclusion of oh, drinking beer is actually perfectly fine. Yeah, yeah. And, then they, and then they use it to justify you know drinking <laughs> drinking more, <laughs> drinking <right>. more. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. So so before we move on, I just I just want to touch on this, right? Um, you mentioned that you know. The authorities or you know the the dietetic associations they should they should take it up to to sort of inform the general public or be better informing the general public about all these uh, uh myths going on or or you know understanding more about the food so do you think that individual consumers themselves should take more responsibility about about knowing what goes into their food or do you think you do or do you think that you know oh since we have authorities or whatever you can just leave it up to them instead? so for Singapore, <clears throat> what I realized is that, uh, you know, the several polytechnics, you know, mm. the, the, they are doing quite a good job in actually explaining things to the public, especially through the media. Mm. So I have seen several interviews and several educational things that are really so that the public understand what is, what is defined as good and, you know, something that we should, you know, eat in moderation, yeah. right? So that is being carried out quite well by mm. the public health experts and experts in different institutes and universities. And also, um, the, the health promotion board is do taking actions to actually educate the public. Yeah. But when you talk about the consumers themselves, mm. um, and you, when, when it comes to consumers, it's a bit more complicated because we cannot control what they read. Yeah. And the internet is such a vast place, you know. <laughs> it's really, really a vast place. And, and we have social media, <clears throat> Twitter, you know, YouTube, Facebook, and WhatsApp. And, and information spreads very quickly through that, you know. Mm. There was a moment my mom said we should stop drinking Coca-Cola, then I asked her why. And she mentions because there's a HIV virus that is spreading in there. <laughs> and I was quite shocked to hear that. And, uh-huh. and I got, I asked her, where do you read such outrageous things? Yeah. And I got to know that I received two emails in my junk. Yeah. And I also received a WhatsApp that, the exact same WhatsApp that my mother received. So the, the news spreads so quickly. Yeah. So the next family gathering, the, the discussion was all about how HIV virus got into the can of Coca-Cola. But, <laughs> But this is extremely misleading because, you know, these such small things that people may create may mm. actually spread like wildfire. Mm. So it's very difficult to control what the consumer actually read. Mm. And many of this, uh, this, because of the social media uh, influence, many of the bloggers have very great influence. So for example, pH-based di- uh, pH diets, alkaline diets and detoxification and even cancer therapy using natural uh, herbs, for example, was heavily propagated by certain bloggers, for an example. Mm. As a result, each time they, they post something, you get 10,000 shares or likes. Yeah. And that means that the news is spreading further and further. Yeah. And as a result, many people even support that notion that we don't need to see a conventional doctor yeah. to actually get treatment for cancer. Yeah. Rather, I can rely on, for example, turmeric or, or, or some weird combinations yeah. of herb that, yeah. you know, that is based on 
animal studies that this blogger is trying to propagate. Mm. So that's something that we need to be very mindful of. Mm. So as consumers, we it's not it's not that uh, they are not willing to to learn new things. They're actually wanting to learn more new things, but it's just that the internet is full of a lot of misinformation, and there's not many voices out there to exactly. actually clarify all these things yeah. on a regular basis because there's only this much that someone can do. And when when some when some hospital <coughs> or some um, organization try to clarify things, mm. people have this perception that they're trying to sell their pharmaceutical products yeah. or or they're trying to hide the cure so that they can make more money out of it. So such perceptions are actually pretty normal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's very interesting. The last point at the end there, you bring up maybe sort of like a, a conflict of interest, you know, between the public and, and, and these, these uh, purveyors of information. Certainly exists among the, the bloggers and, you know, their food trends and stuff. Yeah, that's very good. Right, so now we're going to, to jump into the, the meat of uh, today's uh, episode. So, of course, the, the reason why we try to discuss the issue of healthy foods at such detail is because some of these, uh, particularly those that are trending or even the salad bars that I've mentioned in the, in the introduction, uh, can be notoriously expensive. Right, so, so Ramesh, uh, you majored in food product technology in your undergraduate years and in your current job, you deal a lot of the developmental and commercial aspects of food. So before we go, you know, talk a little bit more about the marketing side of it. I just want to, I just want to ask, is there anything specific or special about the production that makes healthy food so expensive? Okay, so uh, when it comes to food, there are, there are two aspects of it. One is the food manufacturers, mm-hmm. and the other one uh, is, of course, the, the culinary side, whereby, you know, we have the salad bars and the restaurants. Yeah. So food manufacturers are people who actually manufacture ready-to-eat foods and, you know, all those things that you see in cold storage and NTUC, yeah. you know, all those food. And, of course, the culinary experts, you know, they create ready-to-eat, you know, from your chicken rice all the way to your fine dining, the food. Mm. And, of course, we have the other side, which is the nutraceutical, where they sell supplements. And, and So, there are three categories of, um, I could say, food that we can classify. Mm. So, when you look at the food manufacturers, the first category, so that's something that I deal with on, a, on a, almost a daily basis yeah. with different clients and different uh, R&D inquiries. Yeah. But what happened is that to make something healthy, in Singapore especially, or even anywhere in the world, mm. it's not going to be cheap. For an example, like I mentioned, uh, organic. You know, mm. even though organic is it's a it's a heavily marketed term. Again, the mm. word marketing is very important. Mm. Does, is organic food much better than conventional food? Mm. A lot of research is still required to prove that organic is actually better than conventional. Mm. But what happens is most consumers are fixated in their mind that organic food is much better. Mm. That means that organic is cleaner, it's pesticide-free and chemical-free. But actually, if you review what organic food is, they still use pesticide and there's Mm. no such thing as chemical-free food. Mm. So, and yet, consumers understand organic as something that's chemical-free and pesticide-free. So, when they look for products, they're willing to pay that extra much to buy something that is organic. So, what food manufacturers do is they want to tap onto this trend, right? If I was a food manufacturer and I realized that the consumers want something that is organic, it would be very foolish of me to make something that is conventional yeah. because that then I'm not following the market trend. Yeah. So when, when these manufacturers try to produce something that is organic, that means that if they have 15 different ingredients in the product, mm. all 15 needs to be certified organic. And that means that the processing line, their product requires certification. That means each of the ingredient requires certification from the respective government bodies. Mm. And those certifications come with a price. Yeah. And where the, who absorbs the price, the cost it's of it? Consumer. The consumers. Yeah. yeah. So that's why the price of healthy food, so-called the healthy foods, have increased. Yeah. So that is one aspect whereby the certification and the process of it is expensive. And because of this trend of su- the second Second aspect is the the superfoods. You know, we have very wide range of so-called superfoods. There, there are things that, for example, we coconut is something that is very common in Singapore. Mm-hmm. But in the West, coconut is a superfood. You know, it's something mm. that cures different diseases. You know, help prevent. Over here, we try to tell people to eat less coconut. But over there, you know, people, <laughs> coconut is is a trend. Yeah, yeah. And we are. We whatever the West do, we follow, right? Yeah. And then now coconut is uh, trending in Singapore. <laughs> so these foods 
I remember that many years ago, if you want to buy um, coconut oil, for an example, it was actually very, very affordable. Mm-hmm. But the same exact coconut oil can cost you $30, $40 now. Wow. Previously, it could be as cheap as 3 to $4. Mm. And within this few decades, the price has changed. Mm. So again, because of the marketing aspect, when people term something as superfood, the, the automatically the price goes goes up. So mm. if I want to use such of such ingredients in my product, again I have to pay a very high price to actually use these in some of the food. Mm. So as a result, who absorbs the cost? The consumers. Mm. And and the same trend is actually observed in uh, in different industry. So it's it's not only very something that is unique to food, but yeah. it's a very common thing that is happening. So let it be the ingredient, the certification, and of course, when I'm trying to sell something that is healthy, when mm-hmm. I call something is healthy, mm-hmm. I wouldn't. I w- always want to fetch a higher price for that. So and of course, I will do access. Uh, you know, I have to educate the consumers. Mm-hmm. I have to tell them how is this healthier? Why is it better? And that requires a lot of funding, mm-hmm. a lot of a marketing initiative. Again, the costing and the pricing is being absorbed by the consumers. Yeah. So all these factors, many there, there are more, there are more to that. But mm-hmm. these are some of the factors that actually affect why healthy foods are expensive. So if you were to compare the, you know, the analogy I give the white, brown, and the low glycemic index rice. Yeah. Um, people will be wondering how come brown rice, which is is much more expensive, or the low glycemic index rice is much more expensive. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the demand actually also speak volume because mm-hmm. when people buy less of something, the mm-hmm. price could also go up. That's one factor. Mm-hmm. The other factor is that because they are branding it to be much healthier. They may have added in something. They could have modified the growth of the rice or it could be a special hybrid that, you know, it affects the digestion. Mm. All these comes with research and sometimes it comes with testing. And mm. again, it affects the price. Mm. And the price goes up and the consumer have no choice but to absorb the cost. Mm. But what I notice is that nowadays, people are actually willing to pay that that much extra yeah. to actually get that effect because they feel that it's actually going to be useful for their health. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 you talked about so many, many different points yeah. there. And, and, and I just want to go on that last point a little bit. I find it so fascinating, uh, this idea that, you know, you know, in, in different markets, right? In, 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 in say a separate market, when, when you, when you have, uh, something that is cheaper than, than, than another object and comparing the two, maybe their, their qualities are a little different or, or maybe they're not too different. But if it's one is cheaper, normally the consumers would just go buy that one. In the case of food, somehow it's the case that, you know, if it's more expensive and it's labeled organic, people will buy it. But maybe, maybe it's, it has something to do with Singapore being a fairly wealthy country and we have the sort of the pockets to, to meet that sort of demand or to have that sort of demand. Or, or maybe it's just, you know, a, a ton of uh, marketing and, and, and that, that's really, really gone into it. But I find it really fascinating that the food industry is such the case. That, you know, people can, can tag on the healthy label and then, you know, you, you can sell it for enormously. You can sell it at a, at a crazy, crazy price and people are still going by it. Correct. Because yeah. what, what I, I, I notice is that when it comes to food, mm. anything that is going to go to, through your mouth, you know, yeah. you know, that means that they, they believe that it's going to influence your health because now food is perceived to be like medicine, you know, mm. it's going to affect your future and your health very significantly. Mm. So, um, as a result, uh, even for developing countries, you know, not only in Singapore, Singapore, uh, you know, people here are more affluent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can afford to buy a, b- a bit more expensive products yeah. and they, they are willing to uh, come up with that difference. You know? yeah. But when we did consumer studies and try to even uh, study markets like Indonesia, whereby, yeah. you know, it's a developing country. Right. People are also willing to pay that extra much to actually, you know, for, for an example, organic range of product or with something yeah. with a superfood in there. Yeah. And that was really very fascinating because that shows that, um, when it comes, they, they perceive that when something is expensive, something is healthy. Previously, if, if something is healthy, it's going to be expensive, right? right but yeah. now it's also the other way around. You know, when something is expensive, people think that it is going to be healthy as well. So mm. that's a com- common uh, trend that we're actually observing even in developing countries. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, so I want to, b- before we move on to the next question, I want to, I want to touch on this case, uh, the, sort of the, the manufacturing side of it. And, you know, you talked about red tape, the certification that goes into it. And then you talk about, you know, the researchers, the, the food, food manufacturers, if they want to make something organic, they've got to do all these extra processes. 
So what, what do you think is a, is a bigger factor in terms of, uh, you know, the going into the price here of the, of the food ultimately at the end of the day? Is it going to be, you know, the years you spend, you know, investing so much and so much into going into making this new food that will be organic and healthy and whatnot? Or is it like, you know, the, the layers and layers of red tape and certifications that you have to go through? Which of these two factors do you think play a bigger role into, into the increase in a, in, in a, in a new food that's going to come out? So, uh, I, w- I wouldn't say that the certification is, it's, uh, definitely it's going to increase the price of your ingredient, right? Mm. So that ingredient cost is usually not the major cost in the product itself, right? right? So, uh, when I, when I want to purchase all my ingredients to be organic, if I would, if I would, if I used to pay 10 cents for a particular ingredient, mm-hmm. now I have to pay 15 cents or 20 cents for that same exact ingredient, mm. but which is certified as organic. But again, when you combine all the ingredients, the ingredient cost doesn't make the bulk of the, the product. Of course, there, there are many other costs involved. So the marketing part of it, also plays a very big role. Mm. You know, my, my role as to educate the people on how, why is it healthier? I'm using organic ingredients I, and I need to bring the message across to the consumers that mm. yes, I'm using such expensive superfoods or such expensive organic ingredients. As mm. a result, this large amount of money that's spent also gets added on to the product cost as well. So ingredient, yes, you know, there's a certain percentage whereby it contributes to the cost increment. But of course, there are many other factors like the marketing and there's also the branding, how you want to brand your product. So these are very major factors to actually influence the cost. Mm. For example, if a very unknown small company were to sell something that's organic compared to a very, very established company, which sells something that is not very as premium of or as good quality as the smaller one mm. but they because of the branding and marketing effort of the bigger company they could sell more and much better mm. so and the price that they fetch because of their branding could be also be higher so mm. branding plays a big role as well in that aspect yeah yeah, yeah that, that's a really good point here you, you know certainly talking about we, we we mentioned you know how the food bloggers and the media will and social media will will you know We'll ride the wave of these uh, trends and stuff and make them go crazy among people. But we, <laughs> you, you brought the really fascinating point about the manufacturers themselves uh, go, building up the marketing, you know, teaching the, the consumers that, oh, we're, we're healthy in this way, we're healthy in that way. Yeah. This, this is, this is, this is the reason why I really want to do a food episode because when I was younger, I, I had this impression about healthy food, right? That, and I'm, and I'm using the example of a salad here. You know, it's just a bunch of vegetables. How expensive can it be? <laughs> and yet when I go to the cellar bar, it's $10. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but of course, th- this is the reason why economics is so fascinating and so interesting because it illuminates all these different factors that no one really thinks about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 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 and certainly on the, on the issue of healthy food, you brought up all these cases of, uh, of, uh, you know, marketing and, uh, and, uh, research and, uh, red tape that comes in and plays a role into affecting its price as well. So, all right. So, I just want to ask here to sort of re- conclude your your points about you know how all these factors plays in, and to answer the ultimate question here, uh, we're trying to answer at the end of the day: Is healthy food overpriced for what it does in Singapore? Is it? L- oh, let, let's just say in Singapore. In then. Singapore, okay. So you gave an uh, example of salad bar yeah. or salad uh, yeah, yeah. salads, for example. So yeah. if you look at uh, salads, right? So yeah. if you were to prepare them at home. Mm-hmm. They are extremely very cheap to make because they are actually just a mixture of vegetables and different fruits, right? Exactly, yeah. But what happened is that the moment you bring that, that concept of making a salad mm-hmm. to a, to a, a, a convenient place to, to, to sell it, everything changes because the effort that you need to go and buy the different types of vegetables, mm. buy the different types of salad dressings, and of course get the different types of fruit mm. and combine the ingredients so that the taste is nice and the effort and time and convenience that it's going to cost you, mm. it's, it's not something that Singaporeans are willing to, to take because it's going to, even though it could be a very simple salad, but yeah. if you think about it, it's an effort, it's an effort and our lifestyle is in a way that food is so readily available. Exactly. So the yeah. availability and the convenience and the time is a very big issue compared mm. to the cost. Yeah. So 
if you look at like for, for, for salad bars, you know, when it comes to salad bars, especially, you know, their location is very important. You know, they are not located in the heart of HDBs or yeah. neighborhood. They are always located where offices are. Yeah. And these places, the rental are not very cheap, yes. you know, and it's really, really very expensive to actually own a, sh- in a store or a shop mm-hmm. there, right? And if you look at their ingredients, you know, they are, they are called like ingre- like a food manufacturer. The ingredient cost is actually quite affordable, but they do have some, you know, uh, organic versions of certain ingredients. Yeah. They do have super food, certain acai berries, you know, all the very unique novel Amazonian fruits as well. Yeah. So these things are expensive as well. They come with a price. And the, the sauces or dressing that they do, they want to be unique. So the unique factor or novel factor is their dressing should be very different from the other salad bar. So what they do is they make sure that they formulate it very uniquely and those take time, money and effort. Mm-hmm. And those sauces require special processing, right. which means so that they can keep it longer and they can sustain a business. So there are many aspects to it. And if you look at it, they, they don't open the shop like as though they are like selling in a in a like we call it pasar malam, you know, we don't yeah. have it like a pasar malam yeah, way yeah, of, yeah. of selling it yeah. because the cost becomes very different. So yeah. in a business district, they have to do designing, the branding, the marketing, and the concept of the branding should be very in tune with natural or healthy. Mm-hmm. So all these adds on a lot of cost, you know, from a very simple thing like a napkin, you know, it, it could be just a paper napkin, mm-hmm. but you look at the way that they have done it, the material they have used, yeah. the branding that they have used, yeah. they even bring a message across in that thing. So all these things require a lot of branding and marketing effort. Yeah. And all these adds up to the convenience of 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 purchasing a food. Yeah. So that $1 salad has mm-hmm. now become 10 or $11 yeah. so that uh, they can become sustainable. Can I say that it is unfair? I wouldn't say that it's not, it's unfair because at the end, if you look at the margin, I mean, different, different, uh, different food owners have different margin, but if you look at the margin throughout, that you can see some uh, consistent pattern actually in mm-hmm. the margin that they receive. But it's because of a lot of factors like location, convenience, and, and the ingredients and the quality and the freshness of the ingredient. That's how they make themselves special from a, a typical hawker food, yeah. you know. So as all these things actually increase the price of food, yeah. But can I make this at home? Definitely I can. But mm. the matter is, do I have the time? And do I want to put in the effort? Yeah. And do I want to make up this special sauce so that it tastes good? Yeah. So all these things come in play. Yeah. And or would I want to just pay that the extra money so that I can actually buy the salad and immediately enjoy the food? So exactly. Yeah. It's a it's a very sticky situation there. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just want to, before, before I, 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 I go into the next part, I just, yeah. just want to touch on that. You know, you talk about the different factors that, you know, like a celebrate owner, a celebrate entrepreneur has to, to factor in into the cost, right? I was just wondering, you know, what, do you think there are any special uh, inventory costs or, you know, uh, that, that they have to, they have to, that a salad bar owner has compared to, you know, other, any other restaurant or something? I'm, sp- I'm thinking here specifically because, you know, maybe you want to keep your ingredients fresh, then they have to have a, a, a tight inventory schedule, you know, they can't keep anything for longer than a week or something. And that, do you think that factors in a lot into the price? Or, yes. You know? So, um, it really depends on the practice of the company. So mm. food is, food ingredients of food, uh, mm. scientifically, if you look at, at post harvest or, 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 or the signs of how ingredients actually behave, yeah. they are very, uh, it depends. You know, some, if you look at certain, certain uh, places they don't mind keeping the, the, the vegetable for, for a few mm. days in the chiller or they even freeze it you know yeah. and as a result the texture and the quality is very different yeah. but while other people you know they, they want to they will specifically buy a certain from a special buyer and they are willing to pay that much to buy yeah. so that it's more fresh and they will not keep it after a certain period of time so they when they have a lot of new this kind of uh, quality control in place mm. it comes with a cost as well so these yeah. are like quality control but when you look at inventory is a very valid point that you brought up yeah. it does make a very big uh these quality controls on this inventory mm. makes a very big difference so if uh, if a particular restaurant or even uh, organization wants to actually keep um the, the inventory, the way that they have a quality control for ingredients is different from the other one who have very, very strict, uh, high quality control and they want to make sure that everything is fresh. Yeah. You know, if there's a small blemish on the lettuce, they throw it away to yeah, that extent. Yeah, yeah. Of course, that 
factors in a lot of cost in there as well. Mm. So different organization functions very differently. Mm. Uh, no different for food manufacturers as well, food manufacturers or even for food service uh, industry. Mm. But um, these quality is what determines the the menu price as, exactly. as well. Yeah. yeah. So if you look and and I know um, because the food world is very small and my mm. father used to be a chef yeah. so I know how these hotels and these restaurants actually function yeah. so you know that some places they are actually very selective even the prawns you know or even even the seafood that they purchase you yeah. know they, the chefs actually know that this is of this quality or it was actually harvested at this period of time they mm. will actually reject a lot uh, or they will be very picky on, on the quality that they want. Yeah. And that determines the cost of that exact same thing. So even though two different organizations prepare the exact same food, mm-hmm. the quality control, the way that they, the perfectionism, you know, all these things make a very, very big difference. And it's mm-hmm. a very, very important factor in a lot yeah. of things. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's wonderful. Yeah. So, so I, I just want to bring up here, you know, you, 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 you talked about a, a lot about, um, Especially when I ask the question uh, whether you think you, you think that healthy foods are considered expensive or not, and, and and I just love your answer, you know, because there is a little bit of deception in in that question, in a sense, in, and you immediately dispelled it by saying that we are not looking at the same product where we're saying that we're we're talking about salad prepared at home and a salad, you know, sold at a salad bar, and this is a fantastic economic point to bring up because a lot of a lot of consumers they don't realize this. That when you go into a salad bar and you buy a bowl of salad, you're not just buying that, that. That that is not the only product you're getting. You know, you're getting the convenience of not having to buy the raw ingredients, not having to go and chop it up, not having to store it, not having to do you know the, all, all these little things that you, you mentioned: the marketing, the branding, the products, the convenience. All all goes into into that product and, and, and makes it you know it cost what it is, right? So, and I thought. Just want to highlight that is a fantastic, fantastic point that you brought up, and I'm sure it'd be, it'd be very, very illuminating to a lot of customers. You know, so, you know, certainly, although some people when when they go when they st- when they go to a salad bar, they might still think, oh, they're just ripping me off or something. But maybe, maybe once they have a better understanding of all these different factors that, that goes into its cost, that they feel a lot better about it. All right. So, and and I think um, with that brings the end uh, today's to today's episode. Thank you, thank you so much, Ramesh, for uh, coming on to the show. It's been such a pleasure to have you on. Uh, do you, are there any places that we can, that, you know, our listeners can reach you at, or if they want to ask questions or anything? Oh yes, they can always go to my Food Myths uh, Facebook page, mm, yeah. or they can also go to the Fstan Facebook group too. Mm. And of course, uh, Facebook is always there. I'm always and. Uh, I, w- I always get a lot of inquiries there, and, and, and to be very frank, almost 30, 40 per day. Really? But I, I, I can't answer all of them, but I will try my very best to actually, try my really very best to actually answer some of these uh, questions that, that, that people ask. But yeah. Some questions are really very interesting, some are really very funny, but yeah, but I try my very best. But you know, online... Like I mentioned, social media is very influential, yeah. and you can always find me there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, once again, all right. So, so once again, thank you so much, Ramesh, the real, real full-time, you know, food guru over here. <laughs> thank you so much. It was a pleasure being here. Yeah, as well. yeah. So, if you wanna, if you wanna find out more, or you wanna listen to more content of the Economical Rice podcast, you can always check us out on social media, you know, through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. This has been your host, Danny, at the Economical Rice Podcast with very special guest, Ramesh Kumar. Uh, we're over here. We have to serve you the grains of capitalism. Mm-hmm.